This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. When your personal investments need help to reach your retirement dreams and navigating the complex world of financial planning requires an experienced manager, that's when you know you're ready for prime time. Welcome to Prime Time Money on Zoomer Radio with Richard Infantino, Senior Wealth Advisor at RBC Dominion Securities. Hey, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Canada's only money show dedicated to those of you 50 plus in your overall investment tax and estate planning and your direct link to all of North America's top money managers with the best ideas on how you can grow your money. And we have an outstanding show planned for you today. We have Bob Stein, who's the deputy chief strategist at First Trust. He's going to be joining us to discuss where he sees, um, you know, the economy going, where the stock market's going, interest rates in the United States. Now, Bob is is a he is a former uh, Treasury Department uh, worker there. He was the chief economist for the Senate Budget Committee. So he has all kinds of insights into, uh, you know, what's happening in the United States. And he's going to give us a good look at, you know, where the economy's headed, housing, um, also where the stock market, of course, is going to go. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for that for sure. But first, I have an excellent guide for you. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's the estate planning for your RSP and RIF. You know, estate planning is, is very important uh, so that, you know, basically what you want to do is you're going to retain most of your assets, protect your estate, you know, leave yourself um, a legacy for your family. And the thing that happens lately is that we've had so many um, increases in the amounts of uh, money that you can put into RSPs. People have substantial amounts of their RSPs, and their RSPs and their RIFs are so large these days is that it makes up a substantial part of your wealth. So uh, the, the key thing here is that you want to, you know, look at that particular pool and make sure that it's uh, properly accounted for in your estate plan. So this guidebook addresses that issue um, directly. And here's the here's the things that are in the guidebook, and it talks about the taxation of your RSP and your RIF at death and how it's added into your just your income. So you pass away uh, June of a given year. Up until June, your income's $30,000, and then your RIF is, say, for instance, your spouse uh, has predeceased you, and your RIF is worth $700,000, your income is $730,000 that year. So you're going to pay, you know, $390,000 of tax on that RIF account. So there's things you got to look at doing in, in, in terms of what's happening with your estate and how you're going to deal with your RIF account. How to designate beneficiaries, that's important too because there's different types of scenarios that can happen by naming a beneficiary, and the other alternative is, is called a successor annuitant when you have a spouse, and that's number three is, if you have a spouse, how do you designate them? And in, in most cases, it's to designate them as what's called successor annuitant over a, a beneficiary. Um, you can also designate a financially dependent child or a grandchild because they can be taxed at their own tax bracket in this case. You could uh, name a minor child or a grandchild, and that can get rolled over into uh, an annuity. And that annuity is a contract with an insurance company to pay you your principal and interest for the rest of their lives. Um you can transfer money to a registered disability savings plan if you have a disabled beneficiary that's uh, under the age of um, 59 years old. Um, other planning opportunities, of course, again, this is with uh, um, children or um, you know someone that's uh, dependent on you. That uh, Henson Trust, of course, would be uh, in that. Um, 
designating third parties for your, your RIF, designating a non-resident, what happens when you choose them as your beneficiary for your RIF, that's important. So if you have family that's in the United States or in Europe and they're going to be the beneficiary of your RIF, you know, how should we deal with that? And that's all explained there. And it has, you know, the best part about it, it has this, this index. It has like an appendix at the end of it. And it tells you about how do you, how do, you do the tax reporting for it on death. So that's really, and it's easy to read. It's not like the 20-page CRA document. And then it has a uh, comparison at the end too. So it, the big question that you have is once you have a RIF account is should I choose a beneficiary or a successor annuitant? And what cases can you designate those two? And what are the differences? And, and so if you have a RIF account, that's essential. And this guide, if you have RIF accounts courses, is a must reading. It's only 12 pages long, but it's, you know, it's easy to read and easy to understand. And of course, you know, in our show, the whole idea is for us to educate you and send you out the information at no cost. So if you'd like to get a copy of that, just give Dominique a call now at 1-866-891-2637. That's 1-866-891-2637. It's called the Estate Planning for Your RSP and Your RIF Account. Um, okay, now we're going to go into the, we're going into a new year. And, of course, we're in a situation here with inflation and potential for a recession here. So uh, one thing is you got to think about is, you know, how are we going to get through what your resolutions are going to be? I'm going to go through um, three reasons why you could own stocks over dividends. And we have a great guest here today. So stay right there, folks. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. Okay, we're back. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. And joining us now is Bob Stein. He's the Deputy Chief Economist at First Trust. You know, Bob has spent um, several years in the U.S. Treasury Department and has uh, been the uh, Chief Economist for the Senate Budget Committee. We're lucky to have Bob with us today because he gives us a unique perspective on the U.S. political landscape, and he gives us a really good look into the U.S. economy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for uh, joining us here on the show today. My pleasure. I know you're calling in from Washington. It's great to have you and your background and uh, the information that you're going to uh, talk about here today. I guess the first question is, of course, um, you know, where do you think the U.S. economy is headed in 2023? So I, I don't think it's headed to anywhere very good, unfortunately. Um, uh, I expect a recession to start probably in the second half of this year, of 2023. You know, it's possible it might start a little earlier. Possible. It might start a little later than that, as late as early 2024. But I think there's about an 80 to 85 percent chance that sometime over the next year and a half we'll start a recession. I don't think it's going to be the worst recession the U.S. has ever had. Um, not even close. <clears throat> it's not going to be anywhere close uh, to as bad as the mini COVID depression we had a few years ago. It's not going to be as bad as the Great Recession and financial panic of 2008 and 2009. But I do think the unemployment rate is going to go up a couple percentage points, maybe two and a half percentage points. You know, bottomed around three and a half. Maybe it peaks around six eventually Okay. Um, at the end of the recession or uh, soon thereafter. And in terms of inflation, you know, we finished the year uh, with roughly six and a half to seven percent inflation. I think we'll end up um, somewhere in the <clears throat> four to four and a half percent range by the very end of this year. So diminishing inflation, disinflation, but not going down quite as low as the Federal Reserve anticipates or hopes by the end of this year. Okay. Um, the other thing that we get a lot of questions here, Bob, is about housing. 
is is the housing downturn or bust going to be as bad as it was like in 2006 2000 to 2011 yeah great question richard so yeah. um I, you know just to put it in perspective um uh the previous housing bust in the united states from peak to bottom national average home prices so half the prices went down even more than this okay but national average home prices fell 25 percent peak to bottom i anticipate a peak to bottom decline this time around of five to ten percent instead so why the difference this time around um number one because home prices although they're uh, higher, generally speaking, than fundamentals su- suggest they should be in the United States. They're not very high relative to construction costs in particular. Construction costs have gone up substantially, including labor costs, which are a big part of construction costs, um, uh, substantially over the last few years. And so that, to some extent, justifies the price increases. Another reason it's not going to be as bad as the previous bust is that we didn't massively overbuild housing going into this recent housing bubble like we did 15 to 20 years ago. Okay. So we don't have to work off a massive excess inventory. Another reason, the last reason I'll leave you with, is that prior to the end of uh, 2021, almost everybody who still had a mortgage had a long-term, fixed, very low interest rate mortgage, yes, 2.5%, 3% or so. Even if they lose their jobs in the next recession, Many of these people are going to hold those mortgages dear. They are not going to want to sell their homes because they know the next time they buy a home, they're going to have to take out a mortgage at a much higher rate. Yeah. So, you know, what I'd say kind of tongue-in-cheek is that Americans will resort to criminal activity to keep those mortgages. <laughs> you know, you have, yeah, you have, a, you know, you have yeah. a two- and five-inch mortgage locked, fixed in, fixed, for 30 years. Yeah. That's, that's now an asset, yeah. not a liability. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting point. Yeah. A lot of, you know, you don't hear that a lot, but that's exactly the case. Like, for sure, I wouldn't want to, you know, change that. I, I, what do I, I got gold. That's right. Like, yeah. you, lose, you lose your job, Richard. God forbid, you'll put a meth lab in your basement before you give up payments <laughs> yeah, on those, that mortgage. <laughs> Honey, we're staying. We're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so for those, like, I do think there'll be pain, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, a 5 to 10% decline is not fun. Um, but it's not nearly as bad as it was in, say, 2006 to 2011. A 25% decline was a, a national disaster for the United States. Yeah. Um, Things will so, be a lot different uh, here, though, Bob, if, you know, the rule change. In Canada, we, you know, you can get your rate for five years, and then you have to change it. You can't lock it in for 30 years. So, you know, that's, five that's years' gonna time. That's going to be a things, little tougher. That's going to be a little yeah. bit tougher here, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So, okay, so given what's happening, you got the, the housing situation there, that's uh, not going to be so bad. You got, um, you know, going into recession with the economy, but not so bad. What's that mean for the uh, stock market in 2023? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I really have to tell you, I'm of two minds on this, okay? Yeah. I think if you went to bed like Rip Van Winkle, okay, woke up yeah. a year from now, the S&P 500 is going to be roughly where it is today. Okay, oh. around 3,900 in our view, maybe slightly above, but not much, okay? But I think that that call of where it's going to be at the end of the year is hiding a lot of volatility, much of it to the downside. Okay. If we're right that we hit a recession late this year, okay, that's our most likely forecast, okay, not set in stone, but our most likely outlook right now, then we're going to have a downdraft in equities. Last year, the problem with equities was rising interest rates. This year is going to be falling earnings, 
Okay, if we hit a recession, that's going to include a profits recession as well. That means stocks are eventually going to go down. I think they bottom somewhere in the low 3,000s, you know, okay. maybe 3,200, something like that. Okay, so it's not, again, not a disaster. Okay? Stocks aren't going to be cut in half from where they are today, but they're going to, the bottom has not been hit so far, okay, in my, my opinion. Now, once the recession starts, Two, three months into that recession, people are going to realize it's not the end, not the end of the world, and we're going to start a new bull market from there. So that's why I have us finishing the year around 3,900. Okay, but intervening, the bottom is going to be significantly lower. Yeah, do you think that it's going to the bounce will be stronger? Like if you go back, and I, I did some charts back in the in the 1980s, and it, you know, like once things kind of turned over from the the. Re- the beginning of that that recession in there, it it, it recovered the uh, the market recovered quite dramatically. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, um, you know that's why I'm like for long term investors, you may want to just avoid this recession call I'm making and this bear market continuation of the bear market call. Okay, for long term investors who are not highly sophisticated market timers, which is ninety eight percent of investors. Okay. Yeah. You might just want to avoid what I said or ignore what I said about the economy and the stock market and just stick to your allocation, stick to your long-term goals, and you'll be fine in the long run. Yeah. Okay? Now, for, for the mi- tiny minority that's highly sophisticated, maybe you do want to play the market a little and hold off um, and keep cash ready to invest at lower levels yeah, later this sure. year. But I do think the next bull market is going to be a very strong bull market. Um, I think that um, uh, autos – should do very, you know, obviously consumer discretionary should do well once we bottom, but I think it's going to do extra well this time around because we have a shortage of homes in the United States and because we, we have been underselling autos for the past few years um, during COVID. And so I think those will recover more than normal during the economic recovery at the, at the far end of the next recession. Yeah, excellent point. Um, so uh, now that we got you, I have time for one more question. I know that um, you had time with, uh, you know, your chief economist for the Senate Budget Committee. I know you, you keep in touch there with, you know, what's happening with elections, of course. Like, what's your outlook for the presidential election? Um, very opaque right now. So here's the deal. <laughs> I think on the Democratic side uh, that Joe Biden, you know, I might have egg on my face by tomorrow. Who knows what he's going to announce and when. But I think he's only had about a one in three chance of running again. Um, here's why. I, I can easily see Joe Biden being president two years from now. I have a lot of difficulty seeing him being president six years from now. Yeah. He will not be able to hide in the basement like he did during the previous campaign. And I think it's going to be revealing to show him only doing one significant event a day at very most. Um, I think his age will show, um, and because of that, I think he will probably not run. I'm not definitely. It wouldn't shock me if he ran, but I think he probably won't run. I also think it'll be very difficult for the vice president to get that nomination. So, assuming Joe Biden doesn't run, and I might be wrong about that, but assuming he doesn't run, the Democratic side is going to be wide open with a lot of potential candidates. Yeah. Um, on the on the Republican side, it really comes down to Trump and DeSantis. Um, I think uh, maybe uh, Ron DeSantis has about a 45% chance of getting the nomination. President Trump, 35%, so combined 80. But if President Trump decides not to run or decides to withdraw at this point, 
because um, he said he's going to run. If he decides to withdraw for whatever reason, Ron DeSantis is very likely to be the nominee. Generally speaking, Republicans tend to go for front runners. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, and one more name I'll give you okay. on, the, on the Republican side, Mike Pompeo. I think he's the most underrated candidate on the Republican side in terms of the odds of getting the nomination. Yeah, and any of those two, say, you know, DeSantis or Pompeo, do you think they have uh, enough to swing, you know, the election to the Republican way? Um, uh, great question. So, so President Trump, to me, would be by far, like for the Republicans' odds of winning, okay. would be the worst candidate the Republicans could put forward. And I think that was evidenced in the midterm elections mm-hmm. um, last November, that, that candidates he was very close to underperformed uh, sometimes substantially um, uh, versus other candidates on the Republican side in those states. So I think Trump will be the worst candidate. But you know what? If there's a recession next year and the unemployment rate is pushing 6% at some point in 2024, maybe even he could win. Yeah. Okay, now, if the Republicans nominate Ron DeSantis or Mike Pompeo, I think they would be favorites to beat the Democrat, um, including Joe Biden, if there's a recession. If there's no recession, if I'm wrong about the economy, and obviously there's some percentage chance that I'm wrong, that um, and maybe inflation comes down faster, maybe there's no recession, all the, you know, the nirvana scenario for Democrats politically, you know, in that scenario, then it would be a competitive presidential race. I still think uh, Biden's age would be a drag on that ticket, though, if he were to be the Democrats' candidate. Yeah. Well, great insights, Bob. Uh, I know you're busy. Thanks for uh, you know taking the time to join us, and hopefully, we can give you a call maybe in uh, you know mid time, mid year, and uh, you know go through things again. It'd be a pleasure. All right, Bob. Thanks again. You take care. Okay, that was Bob Stein again. He's the deputy chief economist at First Trust, and it was great to have him here on the show. Okay, stay right there because what we're going to talk about next is should you be owning mutual funds or individual stocks going into this next segment of the market. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. Okay, we're back. You're listening to Richard Infantino and Primetime Money. And the big question that we get here on the show, of course, is should I be owning individual stocks or should I own equity mutual funds? You know, that's a great question, and we, and we keep getting that. And I thought I'd go into it a bit today. We have a few minutes um, available to us. And, you know, the, the big thing that's been happening out there in the world is uh, most folks are used to mutual funds to start off their careers because, you know, all of the different plans that you have for uh, savings and saving for retirement through your companies are with mutual funds. And it makes it easier to invest with mutual funds because you can get a portion taken off of your paycheck every month and it goes into your retirement uh, fund there for yourself. And mutual funds are, are great vehicles because, you know, it's a, a pooled investment vehicle. And um, basically what you can do there is you're going to get yourself with small amounts of money, you're going to be able to get yourself um, ease of access. You can buy, you know, two or $300 at a time or even less than that with these different types of pans. You, you can invest $50 at a time. So they're, they're easy to use. You get automatic diversification because a mutual fund, what it's going to do is going to give you um, diversification across a number of stocks instead of just one stock. You may be getting, you know, anywhere from some guys are uh, equity fund managers or have 20 stocks all the way up to, you know, 50 stocks, 100 stocks in their portfolio. So you're going to get diversification across those sectors and you can invest in different areas too. You're going to get professional management because you have somebody looking at the portfolio all the time and you're going to get liquidity because they're easy to sell. All you have to do is say, 
sell five hundred dollars worth, and then the next day you got you got liquidity. So you got professional management, you got diversification, you got liquidity. Those are the positive things that you have there for mutual funds. So they have have a a definite need for for some folks. But individual stocks give you something a little bit different in a sense that you can make up your own asset allocation. So when you look at your portfolio and you say, you know, I need X amount of dollars in, in, in return here and I want to diversify a certain way, you can customize it. And the other thing that's important, and I know most of the listeners that we kind of talk about here on the show are 50 plus, you're going into retirement um, and then you're into retirement. You know, at that point in your life, you're kind of flipping things upside down. You're looking at, instead of uh, saving money, you're looking at, you know, getting a return for your money in terms of income. So when you want that, individual stocks are better for that because they're going to come with a, a stock that has a, a history of maybe 20, 25 years of giving you a dividend. And you know if they're going to be able to pay the dividend when you do the research on them. So the difference is it's, it's easier for you to do yourself to buy the mutual funds. If you're going to do the stocks directly, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because you're going to need some help. So it's kind of like, um, you know, at the first part of your, your career, you're kind of riding public transport, but now you want it, you know, a little bit more customized. You want an Uber because, the, you know, public transportation is going to get you to where it may not, it's going to be a little bit inconvenient, but it's going to get you in a certain direction. But an Uber is going to get you exactly to where you want to go to. So that's kind of the difference in an analogy, how you, you may be looking at things in terms of looking at individual stocks compared to, you know, looking at mutual funds. But the key option there is that you're going to get income. So um, we can't get into that today because we're all out of time. So what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to give you three reasons why now, if you're 50 plus, you should be considering individual stocks over mutual funds, especially going into this year because of different dynamics that they present to you compared to what a mutual fund, which is broad-based, of course, and gives you diversification, but it gives you the whole market. And if the whole market's going to have a tough year, you're going to have a tough time making money. Where in an individual stock, you know, you may be able to pick some winners out of that group, plus you're going to get a dividend. So I'll explain all that next week when I'll go into the three reasons why you should consider changing from your equity mutual funds into individual stocks and bonds um, for, for this year coming up. I got a couple of reminders for you before we uh, just end the show. Remember, we have this, uh, we have a seminar and it's a virtual workshop coming up on Wednesday, January the 18th. It's from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. You can still register. You can just give Dominique a call now at 1 891 2637. Um, next week, uh, all week, I'm going to be in a uh, session with the portfolio managers looking at all the sectors of the market. So, I'm going to have some great news for you. Uh, um, in terms of what's available in all those sectors and which ones we should be focusing on going into uh, 2023. And also, if you'd like, um, I talked earlier about estate planning for your RSP or RIF guide. That's a great guide, especially if you have a RIF account because it talks about everything you need to know about taxes and estate planning with uh, a RIF account. one 891 2637 You can register for the seminar and you can get the uh, guide sent to you. And we'll see you all here next week. Next week's show is going to be really interesting because we're going to talk about the whole show. We're going to talk about different investments that you can incorporate into your portfolio right now. You guys have a great week. Mark your calendars and we'll see you next week. I'm Richard Infantino and you've been listening to Primetime Money. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.